Good morning, family. This is truly a bittersweet moment for us because this is our house. It's not just a church, it's family. And so um, although God spoke this to us long, long time ago, we didn't know what it would look like. Um, but now that we're here and it's revealed, we're so grateful that he's trusted us um, to go and to speak on his behalf. So without further ado, we'll get in a word. If you um, would turn in your Bibles to Genesis 41, verses 38 and 39. And we'll also be going to Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11. The title of this sermon is, is An Internal, Eternal Purpose. Again, Genesis 41, 38 and 39 reads, Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? in whom is a divine spirit. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no uh, one so discerning and wise as you are. And in Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be known or made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word that reveals your heart to us. It's full of revelation, revealed truth, and life. Father, as we yield our ear and our heart to you, we pray that you would speak mightily to us, and we believe we will not leave here the same because your word has spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was praying as to what to share, um, the Lord took me back to Genesis. This text is very, very um, important and close to me because this is the text the Lord sent me to when he first said, I'm calling you to ministry. And as I read it, I was confused as to what, why God was taking me to this text and what it all meant. Um, and I'm sure you're saying, well, Pastor D, how does Genesis and Ephesians meet together? I'm glad you asked. Because there's a manifold wisdom of God that lies in us, if you belong to Christ, that the world needs to see. And that's exactly what Joseph had. But we'll see the trials and tribulations he had to go through in order that that manifold wisdom came to a place of being revealed. And so as we look at this text, I want to talk about the work, the warfare, the wisdom, and the win. The work, the warfare, the wisdom, and the win. Now, the work began in the supernatural. And the reason I love these two texts together is because it reveals the divine favor and the supernatural grace that God has made available through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's exactly what Joseph walked in, divine favor. He was one of 12 children. He was the 11th. He was the son of Jacob's old age and the first son of the woman he really loved. So this man had favor on him. So much so, his father gave him a very a multicolored tunic, which back in the day, colors were, spoke of expense um, and rich, rich, um, richness. So not only did Joseph get this coat, his brothers did not. And it says that Jacob favored and loved him over the brothers. Everybody say, uh-oh. So the spirit, spirit of jealousy came in, and the brothers really didn't like Joseph too much. And they were out tending the sheep as their father told them to, and Joseph was called to tend or go out there and check on the brothers. 
and he brought an evil report back to his father. But long story short, they were tired of Joseph and his dreams. Joseph had true dreams, and in his immaturity, he told his brothers about the dream because the dream was concealed and not revealed. So in the midst of him telling the dream, the brothers began to interpret and say, oh, we're going to bow down to you. So basically, Joseph had a dream that all of them had sheaves and everything bowed down to him. And then if that wasn't good enough, he says, well, I had another dream and his father and mother were present. And he said, the moon and the stars and the, and, and the sun were there and the stars bowed down. So even the father was like, oh, we're going to bow to you. It says the brothers hated him even the more, but the father pondered it in his heart. There's a difference between fatherhood and brothers. That's a whole nother sermon in itself. But he pondered it in his heart. So the work began when the dream happened, not understanding what this dream is. Now, many of us have dreams. Some of them are pizza dreams because we were up too late and ate pizza. <laughs> left the TV on, <laughs> and other dreams are divine. And how you know they're divine is God will keep coming back and start to reveal parts of that dream to you that adds up. So although you don't know exactly what that dream means in essence of what he told you concealed, he'll eventually reveal it to you. Well, this dream was definitely from God. I've had those dreams, was, um, uh, as mentioned, my husband and I were in law enforcement um, I was in the communication dispatch side. He was on the street. And I had this great plan that he would lock them up, and then I'd put them away. And the miss between there and there, we'd get them saved. Well, God had a different plan. <laughs> so I was on, on the job, and it was just the favor of God that he promoted me the way he did. People were there for years and we're not in a place where God put me. And I was getting ready to get promoted again when God spoke to me and he said, I'm calling you to full-time ministry. And I said, surely that is not God. Like Satan would tell you <laughs> that you're being called to full-time ministry. So I fought because I did not want, <laughs> although it sounded great, my grandparents, both of them were pastors. We got a long line, a list of evangelists and, and pastors in our family. So this is, a, I believe, not only a calling, but a family mantle that's been passed down to generations. But long story short, I fought with God. How many know who wins that battle? So the work for me was to add my faith to something I could not see. Isn't that what faith is? Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And everything God was speaking to me, there was no evidence in the natural to back it up. And so I left it alone only for another leader to come to me and tell me what God had told me that I wasn't going to tell anybody. And so then I was mad because God told on me. So, so now I have to be responsible for what God spoke to me about. So I realized that I had a choice to say yes or no, as Pastor Tiffany was saying earlier. Does God have your yes? And I wish knowing God now that I could tell you I quickly said yes, I did not. And it hurts my heart to say that because I love him so much now, I can't imagine not saying yes to him. But he knew it was fear of the unknown and God, I'm not, I'm not equipped. You know the whole nine we, we do when God calls us to do something for him, like it's information to him of who we are. But here Joseph is, have a dream. He tells his brothers and his, and his um, father only to be rejected and abandoned. How many of us have ever been in that circumstance? where you find yourself with a spirit of rejection and abandonment. 
And if you're not careful, it will make you bitter instead of being better. As we see Joseph's character being forged, what the brothers decided to do was throw him in a pit instead of kill him, take that beautiful coat his father gave him and strip him. That's the first thing they did. You know the world does not like the multicolored wisdom on you. The words you speak that challenge them. So instead of receiving the message, they want to kill the messenger. Well, his brothers decided to throw him in a pit. They stripped him of his coat, threw him in a pit, and thought, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll go have dinner and figure out what we're going to do with him later. To come back only to find out he's not there. So they took the coat. They killed a goat and dipped this coat in the blood and took it back to their father with this outrageous story that a ferocious animal truly got to Joseph and tore him to pieces. And this is what's left. Jacob grieves because this is the son of his old age. This is the son that he loves. So here now Joseph is being sold to Midianites in Egypt. Ends up in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar begins to see the divine favor on Joseph. So he puts Joseph over everything in his home. Because he sees, wait a minute, since Joseph's been here, I've been blessed in the city, and I'm blessed in my field. Y'all know where I'm going, right? <laughs> I'm blessed when I come and when I go. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go ahead and promote Joseph and let him be second in command. Have you ever been in a situation where everything's going good and then, uh-oh, you get sideswiped? Because here comes Potiphar's wife, who has been eyeing Joseph because Scripture says he was good to the eye. And she decides that she wants him to sleep with her. Joseph, being a man of integrity, runs from her, but the cloak that he had on is in her hands. So she lies to her husband and says, um, your slave, the one you bought in the house, he tried to make his way with me. Potiphar angry throws Joseph in prison. Have you ever been in a place confined, but you're innocent? How do we respond when we find ourselves accused, but we're innocent. Many of us, let me speak for me, I just want to pack up my toys and go home and say, fine. But Joseph didn't do that. Matter of fact, the divine favor that was on him in Potiphar's house is now on him in prison, so much so that the warden sees it. And he allows Joseph to be leader in the prison. How about that? You're leader and then you lock yourself up at night. <laughs> that's the favor so when I look at these scriptures I see divine favor and supernatural grace and so here he is has these dreams about being an authority he finds himself in a pit season and then you think you're being delivered from the pit season praise God it's over only to be delivered to prison is anybody out there hearing me I don't know what season you're in, but for me, those seasons tend to make me want to give up. I heard God wrong. He's not with me. He done traded me off the team and didn't tell me. You know those things that swirl in your mind like, God, what is going on? So in this prison season, Joseph finds himself with divine connections in that he meets the cupbearer and the baker that work in Pharaoh's court. Both of them were thrown into prison. Long story short, they both had dreams. Joseph interpreted those dreams, and it came out to be true, his, his interpretation. And he looks at the cupbearer and says, don't forget me. Well, guess what happened? 
the cupbearer is happy and free and forgets Joseph. He stays in there two more years. When you decide to wait on man instead of God, you're going to wait. Where are our eyes? Are we asking man to remember us or are we asking God to remember us? And so in the midst of now, he's waiting two more years. Now, Pharaoh has two dreams. Nobody can interpret it. The cupbearer remembers, wait a minute, there was this Hebrew slave when I was in prison. We're not going to talk about that right now, Pharaoh, because you were angry with me. But anyway, <laughs> he interpreted my dream in prison, and what he said was correct. They pulled Joseph out of prison, cleaned him up real quick, let him hear Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh says, so I hear you can interpret dreams. He said, uh-uh, not me. He said, it's the Lord that gives me the interpretation. And in the midst of that, God in his faithfulness and divine favor gives Joseph the interpretation of the dreams. So much so that Pharaoh was blown away because not only did he give him the interpretation, he gave him the solution. The Lord taught me prophetically, just because you know something that comes true doesn't mean that's a victory. He'll give you the solution to pray about so it doesn't come to pass. That famine that they were supposed to be in didn't come to pass because God revealed to Joseph what was going to happen. Now, in these seasons, I wish I could say that they're easy. They're not. And I'm sure most of you know that. In the pit season, my husband and I experienced, we got to grace broken and bruised. My previous church didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and from a little girl, I would have dreams and visions and didn't know what they were because we were in the Methodist church. And then we went to a Baptist church. Nobody knew what this gifting was. Why did I know this information? And it would regularly get me in trouble. So it didn't feel like a gift to me. <laughs> I remember when we first got here, the, the first time we've had any um, awareness of the prophetic was Pastor Jim LaFoon. He looked at my husband and I and he said, you were as Joseph, you left the land. And when he said Joseph, I was like, wait a minute, God, how does he know that? You said that to me. And then Pastor Jim Critcher, I remember him looking at me and he says, you're a person that has the spirit of truth on you and it gets you in trouble a lot. I started laughing. I said, you got that right. <laughs> so here I am in a new environment and I'm hearing the things that are similar to what I'm hearing. And I remember Pastor Duke and Kathy were one of the first um, leaders we met. Now, caveat, because I don't want to throw out too many names, because so many people helped Sean and I get to where we are. But when we were in the desert, the Lord sent the Green family, Daryl and Jewel. Their kids were in our, the same school as our kids. And you, they'll tell you the testimony. They were there long enough to come get us and roll out. <laughs> they said it was unusual what God did for them and telling them what to do. So they invited us here. So you never know what your invite is going to do. Them inviting us here allowed us to step into our journey, into our destiny. Then we get here broken and beat, and uh, Pastor Duke and Kathy loved us. They were just hugging, and I would so love Kathy's hugs because they were healing. And Pastor Duke asked my husband and I, so what are you looking for? And we said, nothing. We want to hear the word, sit in the back, hear the word, and go home. We don't want you to ask us to do anything. Matter of fact, we don't even like Christian people. We just love the Lord enough to know we need to be in this house. And Pastor Duke, in his infinite wisdom, said, okay. 
And then a couple years later when he sees us serving, he said, so how that working for you? <laughs> he knew where we were and weren't, he wasn't afraid of the brokenness. But what God began to do is pull us out of the pit and our pastor began to speak of his upbringing. And his upbringing was so familiar to mine that it really started to speak to me because I couldn't understand why he was such a loving man hadn't gone through what he did. I'm from a small coal mining town in Pennsylvania where the Ku Klux Klan is 30 minutes from us. As locals, you just know where to go and not to go. But for me to be called the N-word and everything else was normal. So I always said, my, my parents got a really good job. All the African-Americans lived in one section of the town. And my dad got a really good job, so we were truly the Jeffersons. We moved on up. <laughs> so we moved across town to this place called Forest Hills where the mayor lived. I was 10 years old. And I have never experienced so much hatred, not from kids, but adults. And I remember saying, when I get to be an adult, I'm not going to ever let anybody speak to me like this. Because my parents were respectful, they were leaders in the church, and we could not speak back to adults. So we knew enough not to speak out loud because we have our teeth knocked down our throat. That's another kind of old school parenting. <laughs> but all the stuff that I would say in my heart, and I had it all planned. When I get old enough to say what I'm going to say, I'm going to say it. <laughs> so I'm hearing Pastor Brett speak about his upbringing so much similar that I would sit there in tears at times because I felt what he felt because I was in it. But I couldn't understand why he didn't look like what he went through, why he didn't have a chip on his shoulder, why he didn't smell like the smoke that he could have smelled like being in the furnace. And God started to use his testimony to heal me. And he said, I'm going to teach you another way to fight. Now, see, I didn't want to fight. I had to fight. Because daily off the school bus, something was going to go down. And my parents had good jobs, and they weren't about to leave them to come help us. So my dad said, oh, y'all going to learn how to fight. <laughs> so I felt like Sophia on Color Purple all my years. I had to fight. <laughs> Woo, Jesus. I got real good at it. I had two brothers. Well, you get that one, I'll get this one. <laughs> Then God brings me here to this, this area, and I started working for law enforcement, and I started to um, really come into acquaintance with what I grew up with, the spirit of intimidation, oppression, those things that started to stir the fight in me. But then I saw Pastor Brett handle the same situations differently. And I said, well, Lord, I believe you're doing something. You're forging a character in me that I don't understand. And he said, I'm going to teach you how to fight differently. So different circumstances would come up, and I'd talk to the pastor, and he said, I want you to serve him. I said, oh, I'm going to serve him all right. <laughs> that wasn't quite the serve he was talking about. <laughs> and through grace, both naturally and spiritually, we began to heal. And God brought us up out of that pit. And then comes the prison. You know, God ordained those things, not man. It's not man that put me in the pit. It's not God that, or man that put me in the prison. It was God. Because these seasons in life are meant to teach us something about him and ourselves. It's about to forge his character in us. 
So here we have Joseph in prison using his gifting even though he's confined. What do you do when the boss hasn't promoted you on your job and the one that you trained is now promoted over you? Are you going to help him? Especially when he come tipping in your office asking you how to do the job. Are you going to help him? Or are you going to say, oh, no, you got the promotion. You go ahead and do it. These are the tests that God will put us in to forge his character in us. And over and over, I would go to our pastor and say, look, I've had it. I'm not going to do this. He said, serve. He was teaching me another way to fight, and it was through love. Love never fails. Never. When you use love, it's a fixed fight. And so as character was being forged in me, even as Joseph and as you in your situations, God is preparing us for an eternal purpose. It's not about the temporal. So I had to come out of wanting to fight all the time and ask God, God, what are you doing in me? Because that's where it starts. You look in the mirror, God, I'm not in this circumstance by accident. What are you doing in me? We look at the story of Joseph. He was being prepared for the palace. He just didn't know it. So these tests after tests, these, these confinements, the restriction, the abandonment, the rejection, it was all leading to the palace. So the pit and the prison were positioning for the palace. So the work is we have to add our faith to what God is saying about the dream. And again, it needs to be a God dream, not a pizza dream. And you'll know because God will come back and start confirming his word to you. The warfare is that you have to decide if God's love is bigger than rejection, abandonment, confusion, frustration, or are those things going to take you off the road, derail you, detour you? because you don't understand, so I'm gonna pack up my toys and go home. I'm not interpreting your dreams. I don't care what dream you had. That was not the story of Joseph. In his being better, he's interpreting using his gifts in the midst of being confined. Then the wisdom. Pharaoh said, is there any other wiser or discerning than this one? Why? Because God just didn't tell him what was going on. He gave him a solution. Do you know the solution to your boss's problem, your neighborhood's problem, is in you? It's the manifold wisdom of God that's on you. You have the coat of many colors. Because the Lord said he decided to take his manifold wisdom and reveal it through the church. That's you. It's not a building. It's a people. So all of the multicolored, varied people you see in here It's God's wisdom from heaven. And it's to speak to the world of an eternal purpose that God through his blood has united us and made us one. So that's why red, yellow, black, and white can love and not hate. So my husband and I are down in Myrtle Beach. We um, have team members, younger group that's going to be ministering to the campus. They're moving into their second floor apartment. So we're helping them move in, and they're on the second floor. So my husband, and his name is Jerry, were carrying the sofa up the steps. When this Caucasian gentleman comes out, he has his hat on. He has the Confederate flag on one side, the American flag on the other side, and all this other kind of stuff on his hat. 
He says to my husband, hello, my name is John and I'm a racist. I'm standing behind them carrying stuff. My husband and Jerry have this couch going up the steps. And in the manifold wisdom of God, my husband says, you look like a man that fears God. And anybody that fears God, we love. Because you're a child of God. And they're carrying, now he's saying this while he's carrying the couch up the steps. Then the man looks at me. And for the first time, sister girl didn't pop up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said in the first service, the Lord said, keep your earrings on. The lady walked up to me. She goes, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, so for those of you that don't know who that, what that means, in the hood, see, before we get ready to fight, you take your earrings off and you hand them to your girl. Then you grab that Vaseline and you... <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. And for the first time, nothing stirred in me. I looked at him, I said, it was raining. I said, sir, you see that rain out there? He said, yeah. I said, one drop is our life compared to eternity, which is an ocean. So we don't have time to hate. And I walked up the steps, have a good day. And I almost fell apart right there because I realized God did it. He did it. He did it. The pain is gone. Hallelujah. He did it. Won't he do it? Will he, won't he? Won't he do it? He just needed our yes. He just needed my yes. Who knew a girl that grew up in prejudice, that couldn't wait to be an adult to tell you about yourself, now is being set down south. And there's no smell of smoke. Because this man decided, I'm going to show the world that that hate doesn't trump love. Who knew? I don't know where you find yourself today, whether it be in the pit season or the prison season. But I want to encourage you from this word that's alive, from testimonies of people that have walked through it to trust God, don't you get off the road. Because you have divine favor and supernatural grace that's on you. You have the multi faceted, manifold wisdom of God. And this man who told us he was a racist the day before saw the U-Haul come back up the next day because we weren't finished. He runs out of his apartment and asks, do you want me to move my truck so you can put the U-Haul here? <laughs> what? 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 Won't he do it? 
So don't you let that pit or that prison fool you. Why Myrtle Beach? Because our friend who we met a long time ago in the police department came in as a rookie. My husband mentored him. We invited him over to dinner, not knowing later on, years later, he would be the chief of police down in Myrtle Beach. He's asked us to come alongside him to help him with this community. He said to my son, what are you up to? He said, well, I'm in the police um, process up in Fairfax. He says, well, why don't you come down here and work for me? Next Friday, my son will be graduating from the police academy. Won't he do it? Hallelujah. My daughter takes a step of faith, moves with us. She gets a call from a relative. My, my daughter is a medical assistant. Um, our office is building another office, and they're looking for medical assistance. She just happens to be a medical assistant, and they're just happening to be. Won't he do it? Hallelujah. Glory. I don't know what season you're in, but don't you get off that road. Don't you do it. Because the manifold wisdom of God will give you divine favor and supernatural provision. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good all the time good. Even when we don't understand in our darkest seasons, when we don't know when we're getting out this pit or when we're being delivered from the prison, but it's all about positioning and timing. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. If you don't know divine favor, if you've never stepped into a relationship with the Savior, we want to give you an opportunity to do it. Raise your hand. Let's bow our heads. Those of you who want to receive Christ, raise your hand. Just say, you know what, Pastor D, I see that hand. When you put it up, put it down. There's a moment in time here that you don't want to miss. I see that hand. 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 Glory to God. God has a destiny for you, a purpose for you, and it's an eternal purpose. For those who raised your hand, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I repent for my sins. And I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. I confess with my mouth that you died for my sins. And I believe that you rose again for us. Lord, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Use me for your eternal purposes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we rejoice with those who just gotten saved? For those that you received Christ, we want you to not leave this building without this book. It's the next steps and how to walk with our God. Family, thank you. It's been a true blessing to serve you. We will miss you. Please come see us in Myrtle Beach. Amen.